This podcast is produced by Unedited. The world that tells us it's all very complicated is the world that wants us to disconnect from what we feel and to make more noise and more chatter. And I don't think that's the way to be. So simplicity for me is a sort of way of, of reclaiming control, but also meaning. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. And this is a podcast designed to help you find more clarity in your thinking, stillness in your mind, and ultimately to help you experience a greater sense of happiness in your life. And having been through my own battles with depression and anxiety, I decided to create a platform to challenge the way you think and to invite you to live more in the moment. And after the previous episode 150, where I did a a live stream on Instagram and answered people's questions, I started to get quite a lot of dms and people asking questions and even people who listen to the episode sending me questions to answer basically so what i've decided to do from now on is every week on these episodes is to answer one of those questions every week that i get throughout the week and if you've got anything you want to ask after this episode hit me up on instagram at i am alex manzi and you could have your question answered on here next week so i had a question come in about imposter syndrome and not being able to offload thoughts and be in the present which is exactly what the person who messaged me tries to teach through the art that she does and the classes that she teaches. So what I would say to that is that imposter syndrome can hit us at any point, right? Because we're constantly in this mode of comparison. And when we're looking at other people and what they're doing, we can fall into this trap of feeling that what we're doing isn't good enough and that we're imposters in the thing that we do, particularly if we're living in a moment like, you know, the the person who asked the question about feeling like they can't offload their thoughts and be present which is something that they ultimately teach. So we can easily feel that we're being imposters because we're not being able to do the thing that we're trying to teach or provide or live or experience ourselves. So what I would say is that it's fine. Like we all go through that. We all go through those moments of worry. We all go through those moments of panic. And I think when you actually take away the thinking from the situation and trying to think more about getting out of the situation of you know offloading thoughts the more you try and attempt to offload thoughts the more thoughts you're actually just adding into the equation so in that situation now i think it's it's just about accepting that it's fine to have those thoughts it's fine to to feel that imposter syndrome like i feel it all the time like i look at other people's podcasts and i think or other people who do like coaching or or, or you know have like um strong messages on instagram and i think oh man my, my message isn't good enough like, like why am i doing this i question things all the time but ultimately it's fine it's it's a normal thing for us as human beings to to analyze and question and, and and compare and i'm not saying it's a good thing but it's it's fine that it happens it's totally fine that it happens because it's normal so i think as long as you can learn to accept that and let it go then it's easier to deal with once it does come around the next time so i hope that was helpful So on this week's episode, I am joined by author and speaker Julia Hobsbawm to talk about finding simplicity in life. And basically, after reading her book, The Simplicity Principle, I just knew that this was going to be an amazing and fascinating conversation, particularly because I feel that a lot of the learnings in the book are so relevant to what we are experiencing now and and experiencing a simple a more simple version of the complex lives that we live which is essentially what the principles in the book are about so during this conversation we spoke about the six steps to simplicity the importance of focusing on small steps in life hitting the reset button understanding happiness and more and as you know the the aim of this podcast is to inspire so if you like what you hear in this episode be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love but right now let's jump straight in and hear from julia very nice to meet you virtually and to yeah. be with you 
today. Yeah, Thanks you too. Me. No, my pleasure, my pleasure. I've, I'm actually really excited because I've been doing a lot of reading in the last, well, particularly the last few weeks, but over the last years. And this is the first time that, you know, I've read a book and now speaking directly to the author is is just fascinating for me. So thank you for finding the time for this. Oh, well, it's at my, my pleasure. And there's nothing a writer likes more than being asked to talk about what they've written about. So it's a win-win. <laughs> exactly. Everyone wins. And hopefully the people listening win as well because they learn something, right? That's the plan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how have you been throughout this uh, kind of lockdown situation we're in? Well, it's really strange and uh, difficult for people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I, I, I think there are some silver linings we can talk about, but overwhelmingly, I think this is one of the biggest challenges anyone will ever have faced in their lives because it's about all our lives. You know, we might face individual difficulties and, and we all do, but to know that everyone else is affected at the same time everywhere in the world is, is extraordinary. Um, so... I'm as affected by that as the rest of us. I'm really lucky. I'm in a spacious house with my husband and two of our children. Um, everyone is safe and well and provided for, you know, so I don't have the um, kind of anxieties and problems that quite a lot of people have, you know, really pressing um, financial worries, for yeah. example we're all stalked by this tremendous fear of getting it or people who've got it. We all know, I think, I certainly do, people who have died, people who are in ICU and so on. So I find that hard. Um, But the sort of silver linings bit is, I think it's an incredibly interesting moment and an opportunity for something of a reset and the reason why I wrote my book Alex was because I felt we individually and as a society we needed to do something different we needed to look at the world differently now you wouldn't want to wish this way of it on anybody of course but but if one benefit is that we we do change a bit I'm all for change I think change is really important so so they're little tiny tiny silver lining in a terrible landscape of gloom and doom is that maybe we'll we'll change from this yeah and I think you're right because I think you know we even for me just personally there's been so many little differences that I've started doing in my life since you know being in lockdown or even since you know before that and just the, the small changes of like how you think about you know where you're going out during the day while we were still allowed to kind of be out and about like where are you spending your time out of the house? How are you, you know, what what are you bringing into the house in terms of your like potential germs or just any like bad energy or good energy? You know, for me, I became a lot more aware and I found it really interesting that like before the, the official lockdown, you know, we were still implementing small changes. And now obviously our lives, and like you said, everyone's life has been dramatically affected by this in one way or another, you know, both good and bad potentially, you know, so it's it's a very interesting situation to have time <laughs> for mm. ourselves as well to also reflect, you know, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people I've spoken to have, have been spending time is reflecting and maybe not so intentionally, like maybe I, I may have been or you may have been, but there are moments of reflection because you, you wake up in a day and the first question you ask yourself is, what am I going to do today? <laughs> Which isn't normally the case, right? 
Well, it's interesting. I've been practicing what I preach in the book, which was mm. written pre-pandemic. And so in some ways, this has been a very interesting opportunity to practice what I preach, which is to be very mindful and notice what it is you do and when you do it and how you do it, because I want um, my life and I want everyone's life to feel as creative and productive and to, to feel like it flourishes. So in a, in a way, I feel lucky that I've been thinking about living in a very conscious way for some time. Um, and I also, I'm an entrepreneur and I run two micro businesses, one of which is writing and speaking and teaching about these ideas about, um, uh, that I'm talking to you about. And the other is a, a, a networks business that connects people. And, and so I'm kind of used to working from home. Mm. Um, so lockdown hasn't been such a rude awakening for me as it has been for some people. Um, but I know what you mean about the fact that this has made us zero in, mm. in microscopic detail on what we do and how we do it and why we do it um, in a way that might be quite oppressive to some people because you're left with nowhere to run or hide. You can't go out and be busy and you can't um, bury yourself in, in some of the things that we all did to to escape our realities. But I suppose I'm the optimist that says, no matter how hard reality is, it's a good place to be when you get there, when you locate yourself in what's real, mm. then you can begin to, to live your life properly. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like I've, I've certainly had that journey in my life. And one thing I've got a sense from, from you know reading the book and doing a little bit of research and watching your TED Talk and all these things is, you've you know most definitely gone on that journey in order to write about it teach about it speak about it so for you like where did that journey begin because for me it was anchored in a, a past like you know six or seven years ago like being in a heavy depression and not not realizing it until I'd kind of admitted it and then later on maybe now four years ago like going through heavy anxiety and you know you you kind of push yourself on this journey of discovery to better yourself out of survival, you know, out of that raw fight or flight mode. It's like, I either give into this or I try and, you know, come out and survive and I better myself and I grow. So what was that journey like for you? Well, I think in some ways, and I've never said this before publicly, but I think mine was a similar journey. You know, you come to a piece of, 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 uh, enlightenment and, uh, you come out into the light when you've been in a period of darkness. Um, and even though it's interesting because I'm, you know, loud and noisy and confident and all over social media and I'm, you know, and I love communicating and connecting. So in some ways you think, well, she's a super confident person, but of course that is never the whole story. Um, and I was a lot less confident of myself and my voice uh, a long time ago for reasons um, that I suppose are private, but, but I, I learned to, to really be compassionate towards myself. Mm. And I, I think I'm driven by a desire to show compassion for other people. Now for a long time in my working life, I've done that through networks because I really believe that lots of people 
are actually shy and that the whole idea of networking has always been sort of incredibly showy and walk into a room and be fabulous and throw out your business card. And I, I knew that even I, with all my confidence, was shy and would walk into a room and still did before the pandemic and will do again, where you think, oh God, I've got nothing to say. I'm thick, I'm stupid, I've got bad hair or whatever. And, and so I wanted to help people that were even less confident mm. than me. So for a long time, 15 years, in fact, I've been running a business called Editorial Intelligence. And uh, that's been about trying to show compassion to people who feel that they need to go out and network, but kind of hate doing it really, and to create environments that were great. But all of that time, I think I felt I was still sort of enabling others. And I wasn't very happy all the time. Um, and so I just sort of, with a bit of what I euphemistically call assisted self-help, but anyone who's mm. had therapy knows what that means. Um, <laughs> I kind of understood myself better. Yeah. And I understood what made me feel uh, stronger. And so I suppose in the end, one bit of my um, experience has been that I, I learned to make myself strong yeah. or stronger and I want to help others do it. I mean, the other thing is I'm a businesswoman, I'm an entrepreneur and I love getting things done. I really like practical management. And so for me, putting one foot in front of the other or taking steps and that's why the subtitle of my book is Six Steps Towards mm. Clarity in a Complex Age. You know, I really think that that is a way out of feeling overwhelmed and feeling unhappy is to take a step no matter how small. And uh, I'm editor at large for a really good well-being uh, portal called Thrive. And um, the founder, Ariana Huffington, asked me to do this role. And Ariana talks about the micro step, you know, let's not think about, you know, oh my God, I've got to lose two stone or, oh my God, I've got to, you know, transform my life. It's more, what can I do in the next half hour? What can I do over the next six hours? Yeah. And so I, I like the thought that we can make big leaps in our life but we can do it with micro steps. Mm, yeah, I love that. And it's very similar to something I often talk about, which is, you know, all within the same principle of, I, I call it the 1% rule. And it's looking at, okay, let's use that. I, I want to lose two pounds in weight, but looking at it as a big goal is quite overwhelming because you're like, oh my God, I need to make all these changes and I need to work out X amount of times a week. And I need to eat this food and I need to do that. And, and you sort of yeah. start to overthink the process. Whereas if you go, actually, what's the 1% that I can do every day? Mm. It makes it a lot more manageable. Like you said, it breaks it down into little micro pieces that you can actually manage. And I just find that that, that complexity that we live with in our minds is so fascinating because it, it's there and we kind of manage it in our own ways, you know, in inverted commas, manage it but we're not really managing it at all because we're just overcomplicating the process more by trying to, I guess, navigate it in a, in a way that's causing us to overthink more, you know? Absolutely. And of course it's 
you've used the operative word, which is complexity. I, I wrote my book, The Simplicity Principle, because I feel that we live with way too much complexity than is good for us. I think in a weird way, we've been oversold it. You know, mm -hmm. politicians are always saying to be, oh, it's complicated. Well, it sort of isn't really, you know. Um, I mean, yes, lots of things are very complicated. And just look at the coronavirus crisis, actually dealing with the supply chain to get the right PPE equipment to hospitals is complicated. But the simplicity comes with the fact that it must be done. Yeah. The simplicity comes with the fact that we've got to get these things right. And I think that complexity is often... There's two kinds of complexity. I mean, you're talking about the complexity in our heads, and I think that's a, absolutely right, and I, I want to come back to that. But but I also think there's complexity out in society mm. where instead of saying micro-step or giant step, what are we going to do today to get that done right? We go, oh, it's complicated. And I don't think that's good enough. I mean, I think you can hear in my voice, it makes me angry. It mm. makes me frustrated. I don't believe it has to be like that. And I think a lot of modern life is sold to us as this fabulous, complicated, endless choice and limitless bandwidth. And, you know, it, but it's not really what we want. What we want as humans is simplicity. What we want is, is actually love, connection, meaning all those things mm. which are much more straightforward than we've been told and i think i i actually have a podcast as well as the book and the podcast i i just interviewed somebody about the politics of of managing coronavirus and he he was the political editor of the economist he said something really interesting about how Politicians often use this, the idea of complexity as a way of holding on to power. Yeah, of course. And for me, when you, when you embrace simplicity, it's not that you're being simplistic or dumbed down, which is often what the charge is. It's the opposite. It's a very sophisticated way of saying, I own this moment. I own my life. I own my responsibilities. And I want to get stuff done. And I don't believe that you hold the key because you understand how complicated it is so mm. for me it's a it's a philosophy as much as it is a practical way of of, of dealing with life you talk about the complexity in your head of course that's that's the big one really is the the muddle and the mess that we find ourselves in and um ruby wax is a friend of mine and i think the work she's done on mental health and what she calls being frazzled is brilliant absolutely brilliant because of course we need to quieten down the noise we need to simplify our beings to not listen to the chat 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 chatter so much as to go all right I'm gonna connect with what I feel right now what I feel right now could be oh excitement great I can do it I feel like I've just had a great cup of coffee or what I'm feeling could be mm, teeny tiny, not at all confident, don't know what's going on, need to just close off and be quiet. And I think the world that tells us it's all very complicated is the world that wants us to disconnect from what we feel yeah, and to make more noise and more chatter. And I don't think that's the way to be. So simplicity for me is a sort of way of, of reclaiming control but also meaning yeah 
Yeah, for sure. And it's I, just so many things that were popping into my head there and just coming to me as you were speaking, especially like thinking about it now, like it didn't really occur to me before, but simplicity has been something that we've all been craving in one way or another. If you look at some of the things that have become really popular in sort of everyday life or pop culture, whatever, you know, there was a big sort of um, trend in minimalism and people yep. trying to minimalize their furniture or the way their house looked or just minimalizing the amount of things they owned in their cupboard. Then there's also things like, you know, there'll be books or articles much like your own, which is, you know, six ways to do X, Y, Z, you know, or five Absolutely. steps to the, 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 like we've been craving this simplicity of understanding how to live our lives, but we're still in that process of overcomplicating it. Like you said, you know, we don't allow the natural processes around us to do what they're meant to do. Like our brains are pretty much wired to process our thoughts and our feelings, much like what you were saying. You know, one moment you might be sat there with a cup of tea thinking, oh, this is, this is so great. I feel so calm. And literally in the next moment, you can have another thought which comes with a different feeling, which makes you all of a sudden feel worried or anxious. But then if you allow that thought to just slide on by, the next thought might come along, which is like, oh, actually, I really enjoyed dunking this biscuit into this tea. And you're kind of, you know, going to and from, but we don't do that. We, we hook onto certain thoughts. So like the worry or the anxiousness, or even the, you know, trying to chase more joy or pleasure. And we circle around it and and, and put more thinking into that process. So we, we, we clog up the, the thinking, you know, process of allowing thoughts to come and go, you know? Absolutely. So, so, Shall I tell you a little bit about what I've come up with as a sort of structure around simplicity? Would that be interesting? Yeah, I think what might be helpful actually is to to go through the six steps, the, the ones that are okay. in the book. Because for me, you know, when we were emailing, I said that there was one in particular that really resonated with me at the minute because it's something that kind of consciously, consciously been on my mind. So I think if we can maybe dive sure. into each of those steps, I think it'd be actually really helpful into understanding this process that you know you've written about which I think is fascinating and it's so needed right now you know well first of all the simplicity principle is the idea that you need simplicity and that you can decide that you want simplicity and that whatever you're looking at whether it's a shopping list whether it's a teenager's messy bedroom whether it's the contents of your head you need to follow the advice that uh the late great Maya Angelou gave me, which is keep it simple, sweetie. So Mm. like the simplicity principle is choose simplicity over complexity. And then it follows um, nature and science and the fact that the human brain, as you've talked about, has got a limit, a cognitive working memory limit of about seven. In other words, we can have all the technology we like, we can have all the speed, all the scale, you know, we can multitask, but it isn't really how the brain is constructed. And I wanted to frame my book against that reality. The reality is the human brain is better at monotasking than multitasking. The fact of the matter is that Studies show, for instance, it takes um, 20 minutes and 15 seconds to get your concentration back after you've come offline. And the fact of the matter is there's 168 hours in the week for every single person on the planet and it doesn't stretch. So I wanted to kind of anchor my ideas around simplicity and what's real and finite, not what's infinite. Okay. And then 
I chose the number six partly because, as I say, I'm a businesswoman and I basically write what I hope are accessible business books and business books like management systems and numbers, yeah. uh, you know, the seven habits of highly successful people and so on and so forth. And, uh, and I chose the number six because it falls in within that limit of seven and it happens to be a rather magical, perfect number in all sorts of ways. You, I won't go on about it and you can read it in the, in the book, but, you know, the number six is everywhere in sport, in culture, in science, in nature. So that was my six. And then I wanted to talk about the values of simplicity, but then structure it with six areas that you could focus on that I think whether you're an individual trying to improve your life or you're running an enormous corporation trying to improve everybody's life around you in, in your team, that the principles would hold. And um, the six are um, sort of interchangeable. And I, I've deliberately written the book in such a way that you can pick it up a bit like a recipe book or a series of exercises. You can mix and match and dice and slice accordingly so it's not I don't want people to feel intimidated and I, I hope you agree that when you read the book it's quite user-friendly isn't it it's yeah, not it is. it's not designed to be like and then you must do this and yeah, then yeah. you must do this and then you you know which is yeah sort of, I kind of got the point. feeling that you could you know you could flick to if there's a bit that you really liked you can just go and flick back to it it's not like yeah you said it's not like one follows the other it's just like these are the things yeah, because the whole point of this is agency, control. I want people to feel positive. I want people to feel um, powerful in their lives and in their choices um, rather than disempowered and, you know, oh, I can't turn the page until she tells me to sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, even though I'm tremendously bossy at home, as my family will attest, <laughs> I didn't really want to be bossy in my own book. Yeah. So, but, but so the six are, um, they're quite broad. Um, the first is um, the idea of clarity that I just don't think you can cut through complexity and cut to the chase unless you've got clarity. Mm. Uh, one example I'll give you is attention. Yeah. You know, if you can't control your attention, if you're wandering all over the place, zigzagging, I call it, that's a bit of a problem. The second is individuality. Okay. And the reason why I say that is a lot of the neuroscience is now talking about herd behavior we've even heard about herd immunity recently but mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is we are all individuals and if you don't know yourself and respect yourself then it's very difficult to to get simplicity because you're always tangled in the complexity that somebody else has made and this isn't to say you mustn't conform to norms and to rules that other people set i i, I I don't believe that, but it is to know who you are so that you can design your own simplicity. Yeah. The third And sorry, Julia, just to, just to butt in there on the individuality yeah. one, one of the things that really struck me in that part was a bit about, um, I think you called it the blended self, I think were yeah. the words you used, where it describes where we are in our lives, right? Where we wear a lot of different hats, yeah, a lot of the time, but all of the time. So it's like there's, you know, yeah, you wear your your hat of someone's partner. You wear your hat of someone's employee. You wear your hat of being someone's uh, son or 
daughter or you wear a hat of being the student you wear the hat of being the teacher but and we kind of interchange all of these hats all the time yeah what what is it about that blended self that you talk about that you think lacks the kind of or we need more of the individuality within it because they are is it is it a fact of it being there's lots of individuals within each of us if that makes sense because we wear all those different hats or is it we need to bring them all into one individual well it's a really good question so there is a section in the in the bit about individuality about identity and the most obvious um delineation of of the blended self is that we work and we live now thanks to the smartphone often in the same place Mm. so even when we were going to offices which we will return to after the pandemic you know, you're still on your mobile phone answering emails or whatever. And so knowing your own boundaries is very important. Knowing which hat, as you put it, you're wearing is vital because then you can make choices around that. So I make different choices about simplicity with my kids, okay, Mm. and with my husband and with people who I work with. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And also, we have a lot of competing, complicated selves. Um, and, and so simplicity is around recognising those selves and also uh, recognising that the identity we have online or in public yeah. is part of but not completely the same as another self if you mm. like the self that's schluffing around in pajamas. I mean, how <laughs> I am with you, you know, you're recording this for audio. You may be recording this for visual. That's fine. But I would be behaving differently if I didn't think either were happening. Yeah. Do you see? I mean, I just would. Okay. Of course. So the third section is about reset, which I think we'll come back to. And it's, yeah. it's basically different from sleep. Okay. We kind of all get the memo about sleep and sleep is completely vital for mental health. And we know that, you know, catastrophic things happen to our mental health if we don't have enough sleep, but reset is slightly different. It brings in creativity. It brings in play. It brings in rest, which is not quite the same either. You know, when you let that internal computer quieten down and slow down um and then in the last three sections are the three components of what i call social health so health physical and mental we know hinges on diet exercise and sleep it also hinges on the absence of disease or injury but there's a different kind of health which is social health which is how we are connected as humans, right? How we connect literally via technology or in person, but also how we communicate and how we um, exist as social creatures. And I've defined three things that I think make up social health. And I'm really banging the drum hard to get social health redefined within the World Health Organization's definition. I've actually been Mm. talking to them about it. Um, and, uh, actually thanks to the coronavirus, I'm getting a lot of traction with these ideas, which is lovely because I really think it matters because the ingredients to social health are not as acknowledged as the ingredients to physical and mental health. And I think the ingredients are knowledge networks and, 
uh, control and management of time. And those are the three sections that come after the ones I've just mentioned. Knowledge put simply means we worry about info, we worry about obesity. Mm. So knowledge is about worrying about infobesity as much as we worry about obesity. Too much information, TMI, you tune out, it makes you anxious, you don't know what you can trust. So everything to do with what we know, what we don't know, how we know, all that is really important. And I go through that in some detail. Networks is comes back to what I said earlier about networking. You've got to understand it's not about working a room or working your contacts. It's about belonging and having relationships. And it's about having a wide range of relationships, like a healthy selection of fruit and vegetables in your diet every day. You should be talking to a, an older person or a person of a different socioeconomic background to you or a different race to you or a different religion to you or a different industry to you, because that's how networks are healthy. Mm. And um, I, I'm a big believer that we don't think uh, intelligently enough about networks. And the final thing, which I think everybody can relate to, is time. Not just because time is a bit like a, an egg timer. It, it, it drains away. We've only got a finite amount of time. But most people in their lives are not as in control of their time as they'd like to be. Yeah. I think this causes huge unhappiness and stress in the workplace in particular. Someone else puts the meeting in your diary. Somebody else gives you a deadline. Somebody else tells you the timeline. And I think... I hope I'm allowed to say this on your program and um, you'll edit it out. If not, I really think that's bullshit. Yeah. I really think that you should treat your diary and your calendar and your time like your body, which is nothing poisonous goes in it. So time, I'm a big believer. We need to talk more broadly about. Mm. So those are the six really. Yeah. And the, yeah. The, the time one, I, I will come back to the, the reset because that was my favorite part. But the time <laughs> one, as, as you just mentioned, it's really fascinating because I'm, I'm trying to, through the podcast and through, you know, hearing people's messages and through my own understandings, I'm trying to help people find clarity and happiness. Right. And, and one of the ways that I've found is quite useful <laughs> is to eliminate this idea of time because chronological time exists yes if i say okay julia we're going to record at 3 p.m on thursday that's so we both know where and what time but time as a concept is just it's just a man-made thing you yeah. know if you mentioned a couple of times we have this fear of running out of time but how can we run out of time if it doesn't even exist the only time that exists is what we're doing now like in this present moment that is time this this is yeah. how we experience time we don't experience it in the past or the future. So I think it's a fascinating thing when it comes to time management, because obviously we have to, do, we have to do it because it helps us keep organized in the world, but to get so caught up in something, which is just a, a concept for organizational purposes. It's just, it blows my mind sometimes, you know, I agree completely. And in fact, um, quite a lot of what I write about is called social philosophy by some people because yeah. it's really about exactly these ideas about meaning 
in our lives now. There's a wonderful, wonderful physicist called Carlo Rovelli, who I quote in the book. And he's written some incredible things about time, exactly to your point about time and, and space. And in fact, I dedicate the book to two people and one of them introduced me to Carlo Rovelli's oh, work. Wow. Um, and my friend uh, has died now. He was dying uh, when I was writing the book and I said to him, I'm going to, um, I'm going to dedicate this book to you. Amazing. And he was pleased because he wanted to live on. He mm. wanted his name to live on. Mm. And I wanted him to be timeless. <laughs> uh, his name is Tommy Helsby. And, and he introduced me to the work of Carlo Rovelli. I agree with you. And I think that that ludicrousness that time both means everything and nothing is very important when we look at the way the world works, okay? Because one of the things that I want to stress is, of course, we all need to personally develop and look after ourselves and be calm and have well-being. And in some ways, my book is aimed at, at this market, people yeah. who want to improve their lives and self-help. But we're only part of, that's only point, there's only a, the point of that is because we belong to a wider society. And so what I want to do is make points that also affect policymakers and also yeah. look at how the world works. So, for instance, why do we have four or five year political cycles? They're not helping anybody, are they? Exactly. Absolutely not. Why do we have the quarterly um, results for companies? Hello, that might be helping the stock market. It's not helping us. So when we look at time, we've got to be honest about where it's meaningful and where it's meaningless. Yeah. And I agree with you. It's a big unexplored area. Mm, and I think one of the beautiful things I've noticed during this whole, you know, coronavirus and lockdown situation is that we're now, everyone's now experiencing the same thing at the same time globally, mm. probably for the first time in a very, very long time, which is very interesting in itself. But also uh, I'm noticing on, you know, things like Instagram and YouTube, a lot of people are sharing moments through social media, through, you know, people like Joe Wicks doing their daily workouts on Instagram live. Like everyone is watching and sharing that moment at the same time. And we've lived for the past, you know, decade almost in a, in a world where we do things on our individual time basis through watching programs on Netflix. You know, you could watch all 10 episodes of a series in one go if you really wanted to and your friend could watch the same series but just watch one episode per week so you're you're sharing the same idea in watching the thing but you're not sharing the same timing doing it and i think now we're being sort of backed into a corner a little where we are sharing these this time you know not a time we're sharing this time together yes and i think there's something really beautiful in that and it kind of almost ties me back into what I wanted to discuss around the reset chapter, because one of the things in there that I found really interesting is we are, I know it's funny. I was wearing a t-shirt earlier, but I changed it because I did another recording and I didn't want to have the same t-shirt on, but I had mindful written across my t-shirt. Right. Um, and one of the things that you've got in, in the book is this idea of not being mindful, but being mindless. Yeah. So, and it's a very interesting concept. So do you want to, Give yes. a, a little um, idea explain around, yeah, explanation around what that is. Yeah. So the whole thing about reset, as I've said, is that it, it, it's, it's a slightly more sophisticated take on this whole idea 
that begins with sleep. Okay. Sleep mm. is the mother load of health in that if you don't have it, you know, humans need it. Um, and in fact, so do many of the creatures on which we depend. I write about the bee, as you know, a lot in the book, yeah. the bee is a super organism like we are and it's productive and it lives and works in the same place. And so we've got a lot more in common with the bee than we, than we might think. And the bee needs sleep. Um, mm. But rest is, as I say, a range of things. And look, just as minimalism is 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 attracting attention as a as an as an expression of our desire for simplicity so is mindfulness and i practice a bit of mindfulness you know and i definitely feel better when i do 10 minutes 12 minutes 20 minutes of just breathing in and out connecting with nothing but my breath all good but i think that mindlessness is about not having that um, that concept of of almost measured productivity. You know, I'm going to be mindless. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be mindful for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and then almost the expectation is the pressure is you might be a sort of slightly better person at the end of it. I guess yeah. what I'm saying is, yes, mindfulness is incredibly good at at creating stillness and holding our feelings and slowing us down and I'm a big fan of it but I don't think it's the whole story Mm. I think our ability to just zone out to tune out you know for some people it's online shopping for some people it's playing computer games for some people it's reading poetry for some people you know you might say well she's just talking about relaxing all I'm saying is let's not be too driven in our desire to reset right Let's also allow ourselves to be messily, unproductively, mindlessly resetting as well as, oh, I've baked a cake and I've (laughs) repotted the plants and, you know, tick, 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 tick. Because I think that anxious people in particular, perfectionist people, people who are really driven, beat themselves up. And I just wanted to say, in case you are that kind of person who uses mindfulness in order to sort of be another stick to beat yourself with, could you please see the joke and have yeah. a bit of mindlessness as well? But yeah. it is a bit of a joke. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not, um, it's, and it's certainly not re- designed to replace mindfulness, which, which yeah. absolutely has its merits. Of course. And I, I kind of saw it as like a marriage between mindfulness and stillness because I mean, the only way I can describe it is like, right. So right now, for example, I'm looking out, well, I'm looking at the laptop screen, obviously, but behind me is, um, I overlook a, a field, like a playing field, uh, where, where my house is and there's trees on the other side. And as I look into those trees, I get this overwhelming sense of stillness. But when I, you know, look at it even further and I, I try to, you know, connect with it, there's, there's not stillness in there at all because mm. in fact there's birds singing there's birds flying around there's probably however many bugs crawling on the trees the trees are alive you know they're giving out oxygen they're taking in carbon dioxide so there's there's this natural process that is just happening and because it's happening we get an overwhelming sense of stillness and that's what i took from that part really is that mindlessness is that marriage between mindful of things and like what you said, you know, doing mindful things and having mindful moments, but also finding the stillness in those moments to experience 
that process of life, that clarity, you know? And that's just, it's so, it, it, that was the chapter that really sort of jumped out at me because I just, I've been processing this idea of stillness so much. And it, it, it really spoke to me. And another interesting point within it was the difference between, because you said re, there's a difference between resetting and resting. But mm. within resting, there's also a difference between resting and distracting yourself, thinking you're resting. Because again, coming down to, you know, people mindlessly watching, you know, YouTube videos on repeat or just binging on a Netflix, that they may think that there's some rest within that, but it could also be seen as a distraction from getting, right. the, getting the rest in, right? So uh, can you clarify then like just some of the differences between the two? Because I, I still get confused about it myself and I try and well, process it, you know? I think um, it comes back to the chapter on individuality and connecting with who you are and what's going on for you. Yeah. So the truth is sometimes you can zone out on YouTube videos and it's a very peaceful, positive experience. And other times it's a way of, of not paying attention to what you're feeling. And there's no sort of uh, person that's going to tell you other than you whether that's what's going on. And organizations do this, by the way. You know, there's a lot of frantic activity that happens in organizations and the culture of campaigns and promotions and more content. And, you know, and that's where the complexity starts to build and become toxic because instead of thinking well, maybe we just need to deepen our relationship with our consumers. It's no, let's bombard them with another campaign. Um, uh, and so I think this concept of saying, let's use reset to take stock of where are we? What is going on for us? And then the actions that you take almost don't matter because they fit that moment. Right at the beginning of the book, I ask the reader to imagine themselves doing something very complicated, which is to balance on the beam that Olympic gymnasts balance on, um, you know, four inches wide and to hold your balance. Anyone who's tried to be a mini elephant in a yoga pose, as I do often, knows that balancing is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And really what I'm saying is life is a balance between complexity and simplicity. Yeah. Um, and life is a balance between rest and unproductive, uh, you know, attention denial. And we have to come into a, a place of recognition, which gives us clarity, which says, okay, simplicity is desirable because it cuts through complexity. It makes things more straightforward, probably faster. Complexity is vital when it creates new intricate things like artificial intelligence. I mean, I'm thank God for the complex person who dreamt up <laughs> Zoom. Thank you, yeah, yeah. Mr. or Miss Zoom. You know, this isn't a sort of simplistic argument against what's complex, but it's about recognizing the value of simplicity. And that comes with pattern and routine and 
um, a, a, a repeatability. Mm. So one of the ways to reset, I think, is to have a routine when that's what you do. You know, that's when I close my eyes and think of something or that's when you look out over the playing fields. You know, yeah. it could be that the, the routine of it is part of what causes that reset. Um, I tell you what I miss is pre, pre-pandemic, I always used to drive to meetings because I was actually more productive that way. I'd fit in more meetings and do things. Yeah. But I would park, I would get out my sleep mask, my blanket, <laughs> and I would um, use a particular lovely app uh, that w- wasn't really so much a, a mindfulness app as it, it effectively was like hypnosis. Yeah. And, and it would send me to sleep for about 20 minutes, but a kind of wakeful sleep. Yeah. And that was my reset. And I used to do that at the end of a day before I might say go to a dinner, you know, and I'd had seven or eight meetings on the top and my mind felt like it was going to explode with busyness. Yeah. That was a quick fix reset. So look, these are all techniques, aren't they? Just like when you do get a handle on what you eat for both health and pleasure, you learn you know, you like spicy flavors or you like these textures or, oh, yes, actually salads are good for you or, oh, no, it's dark chocolate or whatever. And I definitely think the same is true in terms of simplicity. Mm. Um, the, 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 the way you dice and slice your life to achieve simplicity is really full of choice. It's lovely, actually. Yeah, I think it, it, a lot of it boils down to self-awareness, doesn't it? Like you said, it's finding the things that work for you in that model of simplicity like you know you there with your little nap in the car that's that's something that works for you like i might try it and it might i might wake up with an even busier mind so there's a level of self-awareness to it as well which is is what i think is so great about the book is that it doesn't force these ideas down your throat it helps you try and discover them for yourself because to me that's more important than than following a literal six steps of do this 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 and this you know and that comes back to the idea of individuality so (laughs) I used to run a conference called Names Not Numbers that was named after um, the great rallying cry of individuality. I am a name, not a number of prisoner number six, funnily enough, actually. They're, they're back to my, my special six um, <laughs> in a TV series called The Prisoner. But I think it's very important that, you know, one individual in one department or one company or one family or one household or 20 individuals can decide that they want to design simplicity and the markers of success coming from one thing and another group could decide it comes from something different. Does it really matter if the Mm. outcome is people feel in control more than they feel out of control? They feel they have agency. They feel that they have meaning, that things are productive. Let's not forget that pre-pandemic, which is when I actually wrote this book, It was already the case that the world was not running well. You had all sorts of disasters and crises and miscommunications, most obvious in things like the Grenfell Tower disaster was a a model of what happens when complexity is allowed to run riot. You know, um, the, 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 the Kensington and Chelsea management company wasn't talking to the residents, wasn't listening to the residents. There was so many systems that, None of them worked. None of them were going to work, mm. etc. Um, uh, stress levels, mental health problems, 
in society before the pandemic were at epidemic levels. In the UK, 15 million working days a year have been lost to stress. Now, what is stress? Stress is basically, I believe, an expression of terrible conditions that are not being articulated. If you've got a bad manager, if you've got a pointless job, if you've got somebody breathing down your neck, if you haven't got enough money, if whatever, you're going to be stressed, you're going to not be productive. So for me, simplicity is when you have success at getting rid of those complications and connecting with what's real. And yes, it's what's individual, but not as a sort of, oh, I'm so important. It's more, what do we need? Do you see what I mean? Mm, Yeah. we need collectively and that does come from a little bit of individuality that what yeah. i like for simplicity might not be what you like of course yeah it's fascinating isn't it when you start to dive into it that little bit deeper and search for those things for yourself you know and just conscious of time um i have one final question for you which i think you'll be thankful that it's a simple question and <laughs> um, what does happiness mean to you oh Happiness, I think, is fleeting. I I think it's not a solid state. I don't think it's practical or desirable to aspire to it all the time. I think happiness is that lovely moment that feels like a flower blooming inside you when everything feels very beautiful and right and wonderful. Um, I do experience happiness quite often. I do experience it often in and around nature. That's why so much of what I argue about and write about, which we haven't really covered in this interview, but is about connecting to nature. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do also feel it with my social self, you know, in the end, what is happiness? Happiness is knowing who you love and feeling that you are loved. And that, I would say it's that simple. Yeah, I think it is as well. And it's very true. And I think, definitely another time we can dive into the nature side of things because i'm totally into that as well um but you know thank you so much for for taking this time today and um, before we it's do sign out pleasure. officially can yes. you let people know where they can keep up to date with you and also where they can get hold of the book or anything else that you kind of want to shout about okay well uh thank plug, you plug, plug. <laughs> uh, really interesting conversation and i think you're doing important really important work um thank you especially if i may say so as you're a bloke um <laughs> A young bloke uh, and uh, I think that's very important um, so I'm easily findable the book which is in hardback and in audiobook uh, which I've read and in digital uh, and the podcast they're all called the simplicity principle and uh, luckily my name is quite distinctive so if you look for Julia Hobsbawm you'll probably find me on Instagram I'm on it's Julia Hobsbawm and on Twitter I'm uh, just at Julia Hobsbawm and um, yeah I hope some of these ideas land and again thank you for having me thank you so there we have it guys I hope you enjoyed that one from Julia it's a really really fascinating episode for me it's an, an, an amazing book I really do suggest that you go and grab a copy of the simplicity principle and check it out because I read it I think I got through it in about three or four days. I, I whizzed through it because it was so fascinating, particularly, like I said, what we're, with what we're experiencing now. It's so, so fascinating. So I would, I would highly recommend that um, if you really enjoyed this episode. And if you also like what you heard, you can leave a review or even better, hit the subscribe button so that you can get the latest episode straight to your phone. 
And if there's someone that you know who you think would really benefit from hearing from this episode, then be sure to send them a link or a screenshot because it's important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this. You know, I started this podcast to inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing the love. And as ever, guys, you can connect with me on Instagram at I'm Alex Manzi. If there's anything you want to ask, if you just want to say, hey, I'm there. That's the best place to catch me. You can always DM me there. I am Alex Manzi on Instagram. So until the next one, thank you for listening and I'll see you for the next episode. This podcast is produced by Unedited.